tonight finishing out this thought from Colossians chapter 1, verse 18. I'm glad he's the head of our body, amen? How lost we would be. Doug Tankersley came up to me after the service. He added to the thoughts I shared with you. He said he's the manner in which we get our breath of life through our nostrils. Our eyes, our ears, the nose, the mouth, the balance, the everything. What a blessing it is that he's the head of our body. How, what a mess it would be if it was up to me or anybody else. It's all about being in love with Jesus, amen, Norman? It's about being in love with him. And it's not nature of man to want that. We don't like that. Our flesh would soon push out the love for Christ because it's not natural to yield our life and the reins to someone else. But you know, the world yields their reins of their life to anything else. But if you're a Christian living for Christ, you're yielding the reins of your life to the Lord. You can't go wrong when he's leading your life. And that makes you more in love with him when he's the head of your life, when he's the head of our body. He's going to get his glory no matter what. But it's our responsibility, too, to ensure that we, through ourselves, give it to him. He gets his glory when the sun comes up in the morning. But I want to praise him. I want to praise him. I want to lift him up, exalt him. And so as the head of our body, we see in verse 18, and he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, and in all things he might have the preeminence. I had to break this into two messages because you think about Christ, the head of the body, and then you think about the preeminence of Christ, which means the superiority of Christ. He's first and foremost in all things and everything. As it said a few verses before, in verse 16 it says, For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in the earth, or are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. He's the one that created everything. He's the one that spoke all of this into existence and on which we live, and we've expounded on that recently. He's, he is the one who created the, the air we breathe, the ground we walk upon, the, the, the materials that create the building we're standing in. He's the one that created the air waves that carry, or the sound waves that carry my voice to your ears. That's a great and mighty God, amen? And so it's important not only that we recognize that he's the head of the body, but also that we give him preeminence, that he is in his rightful position, as we shared this morning. The thought, those that may have not been here, I'll reiterate so that you're not just thinking I'm preaching about a car wash and I'm crazy. But uh, I drove by a car wash the other day, and the sign on the top of the, the car wash, it said car wash. And then below it, it said heroes. And I thought, what in the world does this mean? What, what is this talking about? And I drove by, and I was like, that's a car wash. I know what it is. You see, they, through their signage, wanted to make it most important what kind of business they operated. And my thought this morning was, as a church, it's important that people look at Mountain View Baptist Church and they see and know before Mountain View Baptist Church, before Pastor Joshua Boyd, before the Baptist denomination, before any other uh, factor, facility, or facet of this church, that they see Jesus Christ preeminent, exalted, lifted up, first and foremost. 
that people know that that's the business that Mountain View Baptist Church is about. He deserves the preeminence. Why? The firstborn from the dead. He's the firstborn from the dead. He is the one that has the keys to death, hell, and the grave. He is the one that by his own power he got up and the stone was rolled away and he folded the napkin and he walked out of the grave. He's the one that they saw and they spoke to with nail scars in his hands and in his feet and his side. He's the only one that has that capacity or has that ability. There's no other man or no other person that can do that except for Jesus Christ. God made man. We serve a great Savior, and he deserves the preeminence. I feel the Holy Spirit on that right there. He deserves to be superior. He deserves to be exalted. He deserves to be lifted up. He deserves to be the one that we all look to, the one that we all look at, the one we all worship, the one we all praise. He's going to get his glory no matter what. I preached a message out of the book of Hebrews once about how God gets his glory. And you read that verse, and it talks, Brother Donnie, a lot about he, him, his, and, and it just keeps referring to the person of God. God gets his glory no matter what because this book is full of him. He gets his glory no matter what because the, the, the trees that grow out in the forest, the, the flowers that bloom from the ground, the snow that falls from the air in the wintertime, all those things speak of the greatness and the goodness of God. But they, through themselves, cannot show or give, give salvation. It is through Christ, the firstborn. We see God all around, but it's through Jesus Christ that we know God. What a blessing that is. John Gill said, He ought to have the preeminence in first place in the affections of our hearts, in the contemplations of our minds, in the desires of our souls, and in the highest praises of our lips. That is so profound. The first place in the affections of our hearts, He must hold and possess your heart. If you want Christ to be preeminent, first and foremost in your life, he must possess your very heart. And that is a daily battle to give your heart to Christ. To wake up and say, once again, Lord, you've given me breath. I'm going to give this day to you. I don't always succeed at it, Brother Norman. It's a daily battle that I say, Lord, you have my heart because uh, it seems like these days before you get out of the bed, you got some kind of stress, some kind of worry. Uh, you got a text message. you got a call. you got an email. you got some kind of junk of this world going on. It's important, though, that he has our heart, the affections of our hearts, the contemplations of our minds. It's important that we give him, uh, uh, Lord, I'm going to take this time to ponder upon your word. Study the word of God to show thyself approved is what the word says. Study the word of God, and, 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 and when you go to bed at night, begin to think upon the word of God. That's what we'll talk about, Lord willing, in our grow class about studying. And the key to studying the Bible is saturation of the word. It's not just skimming through the Word. It's not just reading over the Word. But it's taking the Word and trying to find something that you can apply to yourself given by God. This Word is, is not just something to be looked over. It's not just something religious. It's a Word that's a morsel. It's food for our, for our spiritual bodies. It's something that we take and lay down at night and say, Lord, I'm going to incline my mind to you. I'm going to think about your Word. I'm going to think about what you're saying. I'm going to think about what you've told me. And I promise you, if you can just settle in your mind, uh, Lord, that I'm going to focus on uh, giving you my mind. I'm going to focus on giving you my thoughts. I'm going to contemplate your word. He will bless you. And the devil, there will be a barrier that the devil will, cannot and will not be able to break through so long as the contemplation of your mind is filled with the word of God. The affections of our hearts. I didn't realize I was going to preach on this quote, but 
the affections of our hearts, the contemplations of our minds, and he says also in the desires of our souls. When he has your heart and he has your mind, he will have the desire and the yearning of your soul, your very soul. The fact that your being will desire God. There's a lot of saved Christians that are dead spiritually. And they've been dead a long time. You know what? Something about dead people is dead people stink. Mike died here. People see and know a dead Christian. You can smell it. Someone who does not make Christ preeminent in their life, they're just dying spiritually. In their heart, in their mind, their soul does not yearn for him. And they just become dead. They become useless. They become bitter. It also says the highest praises of our lips. He deserves our heart, our mind, our soul, and our voice. Lord, I'll give you praise. I'll give you praise. I've had something come up recently. Just a burden. It's what I was talking about when I was talking about not being able to leave it at his feet. I'm battling back and forth, just trying to lay it down and let it go. But I've been praying too, Lord, you get the glory through this. And when it's over, let me give you the glory for getting me through this storm. That's what he desires. And I don't always do it. Anybody else been there? I don't always do it. We wake up most days and breathe and drive to work safely, and we don't give him the praise for all the amazing things that he's done between the time we woke up and got to work. Amen? He's done a lot in that time. He saved us from a lot in that time. I have kids now, and Shelby drove them to her mother's in Fairview last night. And the anxiety inside of me about my little family being on the road, just the unknown of what could happen and being so far away, the anxiety, devil, put things in your mind and stress you and cause you anxiety about things. But I realize, Lord, I'll give you the praise of my voice if you just get them where they're going. God uses these things to help us to humble ourselves, to look at him and say, Lord, it's not by my might or my will or my capability. And we realize that these things are not in our hands on this earth, but, Lord, I will give you the praise of my lips. I'll give you preeminence. Lord, I'll look up to you and say it's only through and by you that we've gotten somewhere safely. That I get home, back home off 26 tonight, Lord, it'll be by your grace and your mercy. But you may live a mile from this. You may live on Mountain View Church Road. If you get home on Mountain View Church Road, it's by God's grace and God's mercy. We think things to be so small, but the preeminence, preeminence of Christ means he's superior and he is over and he's controlling and he's powerful all, over all situations, big and small. The preeminence of Christ. This word that's translated preeminence from the Greek is used nowhere else in the New Testament. The Greek word is not used anywhere else in the New Testament. It is related to the word translated firstborn, which is what Christ is called the, the firstborn from the dead. Now back in, uh, back in verse 15, it says, who, uh, well, let's look at verse 14, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God. What does it say? The firstborn of every creature. Christ, the foundation of our church, as we shared this morning. Foundation of the church. That word preeminence, it is saved for one, one purpose. It's saved for one purpose. It's saved for one person. 
for Jesus Christ. He is the only one worth exalting. He is the only one worth looking to. He is the only one worth lifting up. He's the preeminent one. The Christ should be preeminent in a few things. We'll look at that tonight as we share this with you very briefly. Christ should be preeminent of the heart of his church. Jesus Christ should have the heart of his church. The heart of his church should love his person. We should look to Jesus and say, I love him as he is. I love him as he is. I've, I've been bugging certain people, and you'll see some bookmarks on the back shelf with these little cartoons. This guy does cartoons of church history quotes, and I, I just, I'm obsessed with them. I'm bugging my wife with them. And if I bugged you with them, I'm sorry, but they're awesome. There's one that, a quote that was said of this woman. Uh, it shows this woman. She was so excited to have a copy of the Bible in this first little picture. And then she walks away. And she says, now I'm satisfied with this word. And scattered all around her are the pages that she had torn out from the Bible. She was not satisfied until she made it what she wanted. The reality is the heart of the, the church of Jesus Christ must be content and happy and, and fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. We should look at this word and not find anything that we would want to tear away or take out. Now that doesn't mean everything is going to please you. That doesn't mean you're going to be happy with everything that this word says. But we must learn to understand that in this full revelation given by the word of God is for our betterment and for our benefit. God did not even need to allow us to be a part of it. He could have just destroyed man and wiped man upon the off of the face of the earth. But for love, the love that would be shown through Jesus Christ, the preeminent one, the one that needs to be exalted and lifted up in this church, that very love we should be in love with in all forms, in all fashions. And that means that it's going to make us change ourselves or make us look at ourselves or make us question how we live our lives. But we should be in love with the person of Jesus Christ, not only in his commandments and not only in his word, but in the, the person himself, in the fact that he came down to this earth and he was made flesh. He was God-made man. He was born of a virgin. He came down. And in all ways that, he, that you're tempted and I'm tempted, he was tempted. He faced all things that we could face, all difficulties, all the hunger, all the pain, all the torment. He faced beyond what we would ever face. And you find uh, the scriptures and you find historical uh, accounts saying and telling us that when he was beaten with the cat of nine tails and when they hung him to a cross, he didn't even have the form and fashion of a human being. He didn't even look like a man anymore. We should be in love with that person, looking at that, that wicked sight, looking at that sight that is not comely, that is not beautiful to look upon, the sight that make, would make you sick if you were to see it in front of you. That sight is the sight we should be in love with because the person of Jesus Christ came down upon this earth, the one that created it all and spoke it into existence. He, that heap of flesh and blood and bone and marrow that, that was beaten beyond our comprehension, he was yet and still nailed to a cross on my behalf and your behalf. And I'm in love with that person. I don't know about you. I'm in love with him. That person. The one that to begin with, nobody would think he would be the Messiah. To the one that they would look at him on the cross and they would hang the sign above his head that says, Behold, here's the king of the Jews. Nobody thought. He's just dying a, a thief's death. I'm in love with that person. We all should be. The church today does not want to look upon that person. People in society do not want to look upon that person because it's gory. 
And it's scary. But he did that for you and me. And why would we not love the person of Christ? His, the heart of his church should love his person and should love his word. He's given us this blessed word that we should be in love with. He's given us something that each and every time you open the covers of this Bible, you will find eternal truth beyond anything else you possess in your library. I've got a, a slew of books. got a text message the other night about a quote from a book, and I asked, what book's this from, or who, who wrote this? And I got a picture of the book, and it had been sitting on my shelf for years, Brother Jeremy. Never even picked it up. The same book. But this book here, this is the one I go back to. This is the one I'm daily satisfied with. This is the one that if I don't read it, I find that my life goes to shambles. And when my life does go to shambles and I'm reading it, I find answers in it. And this word that's given doesn't just apply to me. It's not centered around me. It's not written about me. It's written about the preeminence of Jesus Christ. And you can find him in Genesis when, when God went and killed the animals and covered Adam and Eve's nakedness, you find Jesus Christ there. You find uh, when Abraham uh, was about to have to sacrifice that little boy Isaac that he loved so much. You find a ram caught in the thicket. What do we see? We see Jesus Christ over there, the, 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 the one that would come, the one that would lay down his life for that little boy Isaac. Well, we see all throughout the pictures. Uh, look at the fiery furnace, how they look in the fiery furnace. Who do they see with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? They see one that looked as the Son of God. Uh, it is Jesus Christ from beginning to end, all throughout this book, the preeminent one. And that's why we should love his word, church. Our hearts should be inclined to this word because he's all in it from beginning to end. We should be in love with his person, with his word, and his work. How blessed we are. How blessed we are. That we get to come work for the Lord. You say, well, you call picking up after these kids and these pews work. It just makes me mad. Hey, I try to, I'm trying to teach my kids, but they're kids. What a blessing it is we've got kids to leave Wherever Riley is, he leaves his dumb dumb wrapper laying around. Thank you, Miss Ruth. <laughs> what a blessing it is we've got little children in this church. Hey, you may say, well, I had to clean up the bathroom. What a blessing it is. Hey, I got the easy job. I get to come preach. There's a lot of you that get no recognition. But yet, there's things you've done for people nobody will know about. There's times you've visited or called Send a check or send cash or send prayers for people no one will ever know about. God sees it. He knows it. He keeps a record of those things. He knows when you're working for him. He knows when you're laboring on his behalf. And whether it's cleaning up after an event, it's preaching the word, teaching a Sunday school class, tithing like you're supposed to, sitting in a pew praying when the preacher's preaching, thank you for doing that. Whatever it is you do, we should be in love with the work of God. Amen. He should have our heart and our work. That I sing the praises of Jesus Christ to exalt the preeminent one. That I preach the word of Jesus Christ so I can exalt the preeminent one. That I come and I'm faithful to my church and I'm here when the doors are open, every time the doors open, to exalt 
the preeminent one. That's the work of the Lord, and our heart should be in the work. Not just out of a religious sense, but that we might see people saved. Because when we work together, when we're joyful in our work, no matter how small it may seem or how big it is, how great it is, in the eyes of man, it does not matter. Service to God is all the same. He looks at us and he sees the sacrifice. You say, well, this is just small. He knows it. He appreciates it. The work of the Lord, our heart, should love his work. Christ should be eminent, preeminent in the heart of his church and then the heart of its mission. What's the mission of our church? Christ should come first in the church's mission. Evangelism of the lost, the equipping of the saints, and the exalting of Christ. Evangelism being first, knowing that it's important that this body is a body that is replicating, that we see people saved, that we're going out and telling people about Jesus Christ. And while the, a seed sown out in the community uh, or a seed sown over the words of our podcast that get across the world or a seed sown in song or a seed sown by shaking somebody's hands out in the community or giving, giving a homeless person a homeless bag, whatever seed you sow, that evangelism is showing the love of Jesus Christ. And that's the purpose of what we're doing because I don't want to go to heaven alone and I don't want to go to heaven with just the people sitting in this building. I love you. I want to be there. I hope we all end up on the same street, but we want to take more people with us. Not that they, they just make a religious confession, not that they just start coming here just because they like how things are, but that they realize there's sin in their life, they repent for their sin, and they come to this church or they go to another gospel church somewhere else and they change how they live because of what's come inside of them. And what's come inside of them being Jesus Christ. We should be preeminent in the work of evangelism in our church, not for numerical reasons, not for purposes of tithe numbers going up, not because we want to see this program grow or that grow, but because we have a heart of evangelism saying, I'm going to make Christ first in my evangelism, that I tell people about how great my church is, not because we've got a preacher that everybody likes, I hope you do, uh, not because we've got a Sunday school teacher that everybody likes or we've got music that everybody likes, but because Christ is preeminent and Mount View Baptist Church. That's the key. That's the focus. That's the purpose. That's why people come here and they don't want to go anywhere else. That's why people that live states and states away still come back and they call Mountain View Baptist Church home is because Christ has been preeminent in the past and we must make sure that he is preeminent in the future. Why? Because the work of evangelism at this church must point back to Jesus Christ. If we do it for numbers, if we do it for, for, for growing to be the biggest thing or getting a new building or getting a new this or getting a new that, there's no point in it. It's sinful. That's not the purpose of this church. The evangelism in this church is for the preeminence of Christ. To see people saved, and they may, hey, they may never pay a tithe, a tithe in a Mountain View Baptist church. And that makes Baptists nervous. Some Baptists. But it'll be okay. They may never come here. They got a tract. Everybody needs a home. These new tracts, inviting people to come to Mountain View Baptist Church, and they go to another Baptist church somewhere else or another church somewhere else. Praise the Lord. That's the purpose of evangelism. Like we said this morning, this body is not just Mountain View Baptist Church. It's the church as a whole, globally. Evangelism, I'm trying to hurry. There's a lot in here. Evangelism, discipleship. 
Christ should come first in the church's discipleship. This has been missed so much in so many places because we are so guilty of trying to conform to what, so, how somebody else was, how somebody else lived, how somebody else preached, how somebody else taught, uh, the way somebody else did things. Our discipleship should not uh, be here to make somebody else be like me or be like you. Our discipleship should point to the preeminence and the superiority of Jesus Christ, that you conform to him and not me or him and not somebody else. There's a lot of churches, and uh, they would have uh, they would teach their young preachers in the church uh, and disciple their young preachers in the church that you got to be just like your pastor. And what happens is those people end up leaving that church or going on and going to a Bible college somewhere that's just a cookie cutter Bible college. Everybody's got to be the same way. Everybody's got to preach the same way. Everybody's got to sound the same way. Everybody's got to act the same way. And that cookie cutter keeps going on and keeps going on. And those people go out into other churches, and their mind of discipleship is they have to make their whole church just like them. And that's not the case. We're all different people. We all come from different backgrounds. Hey, we all from the same mountains, but we're all different people. We have different ways of looking at things. We have different mindsets. We have uh, different uh, education backgrounds and different job backgrounds. But that's what makes the church so beautiful is because there's people that you can disciple that I can't disciple. And there's people I can disciple that you can't disciple. We can reach different, different people in different ways. And that's how God made it. He didn't make us to disciple each other like cookie cutters so everybody looks the same sounds the same decorated the same it's a blessing that we're all different ed whitehead's gonna come out in here with a mohawk next week because he said i get to be different praise the lord we should be conformed to the image of christ we should be striving to be like him i'm not talking about all looking different like the world i'm talking about looking different in who we are just different people but conforming discipling towards jesus christ the preeminent one, the head of the body. Christ should come first in the church's evangelism, discipleship, and worship. I wrote this little note, of him, for him. Our worship, of him, for him. When you come to church, what's your motive behind coming to church? Why do you wake up on Sunday morning and drive Mountain View Baptist Church. Why do you come on Sunday night and Wednesday night and Mountaineers, fall festivals, Christmas plays? Why do you come to Mountain View Baptist Church? What's the purpose in your heart? Is it for the preeminence of Christ? Lord, let my worship be to you no one else. Lord, let my preaching lift you up and not myself. Lord, let my singing glorify and exalt you and point to you and no one else. Lord, let the way I interact with others inside the church be worshiped to you, of you, for you. It's all about Him. And worship is all about Him. And if you come for any reason aside from worshiping Him, everything else is just a benefit. Getting to know one another, I guarantee you, my time at Mountain View Baptist Church, I've grown some of the best friends I've ever had in my life. And I thank God for you. I can look across a building. I can look across a building on Sunday morning when it's nearly full in here. And I can see in every pew and many chairs, 
people that I cherish and I love genuinely. But it's not about that. Lisa's making a joke down here. I look over that pew a little bit. But I look and I see someone I love, but it's not even about our friendship. It's about our fellowship, one with another, worshiping the same God, the same Savior. But it's not even about our fellowship. It's not even about coming and hearing a good song. It's not even about coming and, man, we just, that preacher, he's energetic. It's about hearing preaching that exalts and lifts up Christ, done in the right spirit by a preacher that's trying to worship the Lord. It's about hearing a song that points to the cross that's not done for show, but done to lift up the name of Jesus. It's not about shaking hands with everybody and letting everybody see what you're wearing and what you drove up in. It's about fellowshipping one with another, saying, man, ain't God good. The worship one with another. Man, that's hitting a lick with me tonight. The preeminence of Christ. Evangelism, discipleship, and worship. I am almost done, I promise. You say, I've got to go to work in the morning. The heart of his church, the heart of its mission, and the heart of his, of his people. This is where it gets tough. I've had to look at myself this week in these texts. I about let the devil get my goat, too about this message. Anybody, does anybody's goat get got down here in tuxedo? <laughs> Amen. I figured. I figured. Thank you, Brother Norm. Y'all my kind of people. Jesus should be preeminent in the heart of his people. Jesus should be preeminent in our families. We wonder why our nation's a wreck. Where does Jesus Christ have his position in our family? I still have my little notebook from the marriage conference or marriage retreat. And on the front of that, the little picture, the triangle, the husband, the wife, and God is the head. He must have preeminence in our families. And if you don't, you wonder why you can't stop arguing? You wonder why you're never happy with anything your kids do? You're never happy with anything? You ain't happy with the food your wife cooks? Now, she might be a bad cook. I don't know, but act like you're happy. <laughs> She's learning. So we've been married 30 years. Been learning this whole time. There's a difference in something tasting bad and resenting somebody. They lay out the best meal you could eat and resenting somebody. There's a difference in having a hard day and saying something short and taking out every single anger and frustration on your children. There's a difference in having a little spat and every bit of anger and frustration laid down at the feet or on the shoulders of the one God gave you to be wed to. He must have preeminence in our families.
we wonder, hey, it's never easy. Your preacher's family ain't perfect. And I promise you, the devil fights tooth and nail to break us up spiritually, to drive a wedge between me and my wife, to, to cause problems with our family in general. Hey, he loves it. He must have preeminence in our families, in our marriages, in our professions. You know, there's a lot of people that, there's people that, musicians, welders, mechanics, home builders, preachers, they are the best at their craft than anybody else. Somebody can build the most beautiful house. A preacher that can lay out the most wonderful outline. A welder that can weld the most beautiful bead you've ever seen. But they don't do it for the glory of God. There's people that can sing like a bird, but they don't do it for Christ. And they're waste away God-given talent for their own endeavors. He must have preeminence in our professions. He must have preeminence in our time. In our time. Man, how much time is wasted. Somebody said something along the lines recently about you never get wasted time back. Each day resets. And what's been done in the past 24 hours, it's gone. Our time. He must have preeminence in our time. We need to be joyful in the time we have serving the Lord. There's a lot of times it's inconvenient. This world's busy, ain't it? Got a lot going on. Got a lot going on. Something comes across your phone. Pray for this person. I don't have time. Don't have time. You just kicked your feet up and turned on a ball game. That's me. Finally get a break. I don't have time. But there's somebody somewhere, part of your church, hurting. He needs time. Pray for him. Lift him up to the Lord joyfully. Because you want people to lift you up when you need it. Amen time. Well, I just didn't get time today to read God's Word. You've got to be careful about that. I heard a story a preacher, a friend of mine from down in Georgia, he tells about a guy he worked with. He'd carry they'd be working, he'd carry his Bible to the bathroom and he'd come out and he'd say, I, 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 don't, I don't ever get time to read my Bible at home but you know what, I've, I've read the entire book of John in the bathroom at work. He said, brother God expects us to work. That's not right. He said, how, could not read, how can reading the Bible be wrong at work? He said, because you're, you're being paid. Give a man an honest day's work. But I don't have time at home. You make time for what you value. Whether it be television. I'm sorry, we're plowing here. Television, games, movies, TV, basket weaving. I don't care what it is. You make time for what you enjoy. You make time for what's important. And you show the intents of your heart and the contents of your heart by what you spend your time on.
Jesus should be preeminent in our time and our affections. How infectious is an affectionate Christian? I had to say that quickly or slowly. How infectious is an affectionate Christian? You get around people, man, I love Jesus. You ever been a Christian when that makes you uncomfortable? And it feels wrong because you're uncomfortable. They're like, these people, they're talking about loving Jesus. I need somebody to vent to and complain to. And they're talking about loving Jesus. Set your affection on him. Lord, I love you. No matter what's going on in life, I love you. I give you my affection. Jesus should be preeminent in our affections. And finally, our entertainment. The things we spend our time doing and consuming, Christian. That's what my heart's been burdened with this week, and that's why I didn't just wait and preach the rest of this next week. Our entertainment. We've went a long way from Gunsmoke and Andy and Barney, amen? I would challenge you, Christian, to give preeminence to Christ in your entertainment. Because the movies and the television shows, the music, the things of this society, I see Christians watching, listening, spending time in a lot of entertainment that's not worth watching, listening to, or being around. How long has it been since you've said, Lord, the stuff I'm watching, the stuff I'm listening to, the language coming out of the television, Lord, the, the stuff that flashes by on TV that it's only a second but I just let it flash by I look away I, the stuff Lord that I consume is entertainment does it give you preeminence in my life that's a hard question hey there's stuff that I used to think well hey I'm a, I'm a grown man I know what right and wrong I know not to say these things there's stuff that I can't I don't even I can't even watch anymore because the spirit convicted me so much about it but I found how beneficial it is in my life to get that junk out of my mind. Hey, I don't cuss like that. I, don't, I certainly don't sleep around like that. I certainly don't steal like that. But why would I consume it as entertainment if it doesn't glorify God? Now, hey, I get the Clemson Tigers don't glorify God, and they really ain't glorifying God this year. But, and it happens there too. I mean, turn on the stinking TV and watch the commercials. It's junk in the commercials. But I, I plead with you. Seek the Lord about your entertainment. Lord, does this give preeminence to you? Because if I, I'm like one of them old-timey preachers. I at least ain't telling you to go hit your TV with a baseball bat. But the things we consume, the things we consume as entertainment as Christians, seriously, do they benefit us spiritually? That's for you, between you and God. I could name things off that people watch, and I found out what's in them, and I'm, I'm like, I wonder what your Christian walk looks like. But that's just me being self-righteous. There's stuff in my life I've got to get rid of. Does your entertainment give preeminence to Christ? Pray about that. Pray about it. I, I plead with you.